0: Welcome, great to be here with you guys. It's been uh, wonderful just to be able to start our time together singing carols, um, a a little medley of carols uh, that was put together celebrating the birth of Jesus uh, into human history. I don't know if you noticed, but we sang particular carols. We started with Once in Royal David City, which is a carol that places the birth of Jesus into human history into the context of human history it's an actual event it's not a made-up story we sang hark the herald angels sing celebrating the birth of jesus uh, from a heavenly perspective announcing the arrival of a king who would uh, come and, and draw us near to god and then we sang that carol what child is this celebrating jesus humanity full humanity here is a God who makes himself vulnerable and approachable. And if you, if you sang through it, even, even killable. And then we finish with that glory in excelsis Deo. Like glory to God in excelsis, in ongoing and increasing measure, glory. This is not a story that just stayed as an event. It's a story that, that keeps going, that continues to proclaim glory to God because of what's going on at, at, at Christmas. God entering into human history as our savior, who reestablishes peace and order in our lives. A Messiah—that's what a Messiah does. A Messiah is one who's going to come and rule and establish peace and order, bring a new rule to people's lives, but not—but not like another law over us, and not like another another teacher who would come and be at us, but like an everlasting Father. Isaiah says about a child. Relationally, personally, as Krista read, Emmanuel, God with us. Our whole lead up to Christmas, we've been looking into the first Christmas. We've been looking at it through a playlist of songs that we find in the Gospel of Luke. Songs inspired by those who experienced and witnessed revelation of God. God actually speaking and saying what's going on. And then the fulfillment of that, of God coming into human history Songs that describe how this took place. As we've sung this morning in actual historic places like Bethlehem, the, the royal city of David. It's where David grew up. It's where he was born. With people like Mary and Zacharias and Simeon. It took place at a specific time in history. Like, at, like during the reign of King Herod of Judea. Songs about historic events, not myths and fables. By people who were actually there. Songs explaining how the supernatural and the divine, God himself, takes on the ordinary and the common, becoming human, sharing our experience of life. Songs that help us see, help us understand and experience that God has come to be with us, to bring his peace, to bring his joy into our hearts by replacing the destruction and the chaos that sin creates there with his own presence not just in an idea or some kind of thought-up thing, but actually, physically, tangibly present with us. For thousands of years, people have been singing about this and, and telling stories, if you like, of a God who is with us, who actually came to draw near to us to change our hearts, change our hearts from positions of indifference, positions of fear and hostility toward God, to warmth, and wonder and worship Christmas is a historic and an ongoing event we sang it in excelsis Deo on and on in increasing measure it's that historic event in which God disrupts our normal experiences of life with the extraordinary The supernatural, a child born to a virgin, a child whose origins are divine and supernatural, announced by angels. But at the same time, in this story, there is familiarity, there is comfort. This is a child born just like you and I as a person in every single way. As I said, approachable, knowable, infinitely undiminished divinity and profoundly human and ordinary, God with us, Emmanuel, as Krista read. It's a birth that 2,000 years on, a large portion of the world still take time out. They still take time out at Christmas to stop and reflect on the significance of its meaning, even sometimes regardless of their religious affinity. Uh, I had a conversation with my dad last night. It, it, it was like... It rolled around to, hey, why, why, why are reefs made out of holly? Anyone know? Holly is an evergreen, eternal. It's got red berries, blood, sacrifice. All this symbology that, that we have around this story actually has meaning that points to something greater, something with more significant. We're prompted uh, all around us, if we look at, t- at this time of year, to start to think about Christmas. Pretty much once we get past father's day the commercial wheels start to turn towards christmas and and you can go into woolworths here around october and where you used to find your eggs uh, this happened to me there's now christmas hams you got to go searching for the eggs and then by november our stores are full of mince pies which i just love um it's just christmas tree decorations and here, there's the sound of, of Christmas carols in the background just playing away, reminding us as we shop that it's better, better to be in relationships, around tables, around food, sharing um, relationships and friends with each other. Other reminders that prompt us to think about Christmas as we, as we casually go around as, as lights going up on houses and what is known as the Griswold influence. In reality, what it does is it points back to the light of the world coming into our darkness to guide our feet to ways of peace, as Zachariah's song declared in the, chap- in the opening chapters of Luke's gospel. And then, as we've said, Netflix and Stan and Prime and maybe old school free-to-air TV remind us that Christmas is approaching as guys like Tim Allen uh, turn up on our, on our TV screens in that, in that Santa Claus series. You watch that? That's, a, that? that's a series that starts with a homicide and then identity theft. If you ever... It's strange. But in all this, it's easy to forget or lose. In all the chaos, what led? What began all this storytelling, all this, all this singing, all this celebration? God with us. God who comes into our spaces to restore and reclaim our hearts into a relationship with him. The Christmas activity, if we choose to let us, points us back to a moment in history where God moved towards us in love and humble disclosure to not just be some distant deity or some abstract divinity, but to be with us and deal with all that phrase life's experiences, not merely kind of just push these things to the margins, push these things to the side, but to be with us in these things To deal with all that's broken within the human heart that causes us to build fences, that causes us to stop speaking to family members or wound loved ones. To bring grace and peace through this child whose story begins in a manger and ends in a cross. At Christmas we see that God cares deeply to identify with our experience of life from the cradle to the grave you See, Christmas, like God himself, is both far more wondrous and far more provoking than we can ever imagine. And the Christmas story has been shaping thinking and, and shaping culture for centuries. One of, one of our kids and perhaps my favorite uh, American-born social political commentators, I've read like numerous volumes of this guy's work to our kids as they grew up. Theodore, Zeus, Glissell. He writes all kinds of things. He writes about the environment, he writes about how to cook green eggs with ham. He wrote his own observation on how the true meaning of Christmas has been stolen from our thinking, or at least stolen from one individual's thinking. Ron Howard's movie on this 1957 story, How the Grinch Stole Christmas is a Christmas favorite in our family. Howard kind of fills in a lot more around the edges uh, that that Dr. Zeus doesn't have in his book. But the narrator regularly quotes from the book and brings us to this perplexing question. How, How it was that someone come to have such a distorted view of Christmas? Or how it was that one particular individual had such a distorted view of Christmas? And no one knows why the Grinch hates Christmas so much. No one knows for sure. But after looking at a few of the possibilities, our good Dr. Zeus concludes that the most likely reason of all may have been that his heart was two sizes too small. It's the condition of the Grinch's heart that stops him from seeing Christmas for what it is. And this damaged and derailed heart causes the Grinch to think damaged and derailed thoughts. Then he got an idea, an awful idea, the Grinch got a wonderful, awful idea. He planned to steal Christmas from the Hoos. The Grinch would simply take all their hams and all their mince pies and all their bows and their presents and their tags and their tinsels and trimmings and trappings while they slept Christmas Eve. His hope was to make their experience of Christmas as miserable as his experience of life. The Grinch would just sweep through Hoosville and take every last object of Christmas with him. 3,000 feet up, up the side of Mount Crumpet, he rode with his load to the tip top to dump it. But before he dumped his load, he paused because he wanted to hear the despair of the Who's as they woke to the news that Christmas had failed to come. That's a noise, the Grinch grinned that I simply must hear. So he paused, and the Grinch put his hand to his ear. And he did hear a sound rising over the snow. It started low, then it started to grow. But the sound wasn't sad. For every who down in Who'sville, the tall and the small, were singing without any presence at all. He hadn't stopped Christmas from coming. It came somehow or other. It came just the same. It came without ribbons. It came without tags. It came without packages, boxes, and bags. Then something odd took place. Something odd happened. The Grinch, the Grinch's heart was strangely warmed. He puzzled three hours till his puzzler was sore. Then the Grinch thought of something he hadn't thought of before. Maybe Christmas, he thought, doesn't come from a store. Maybe Christmas, perhaps, means a little bit more. And what happened then? Well, in Whoville, they say, that the Grinch's small heart grew three sizes that day. It's a great story. It's a great story from a a secular writer, writing kind of a shadow narrative about the real meaning of Christmas, that without even trying, just points us back to what Christmas came to do to change our hearts, for an encounter with something greater than ourselves, something greater than our own experience of life. It's a story of redemption, of how the Grinch, who was alienated from joy, alienated from community, by his own brokenness, is brought back in by encountering something greater than his experience of life, something he had never stopped to consider before. I don't think in any way that Dr. Zeus was trying to rewrite a biblical Christmas story. But like all of the stories that we come up with, that humanity comes up with, that are fable or mythological or fairy tales, they tend to point to greater realities. They tend to point or or they tend to look for unfulfilled uh, truths and desired truths. They're not full truths in themselves, but they describe conditions. They describe environments that need saving, that need rescuing, and they describe how that might happen. They imagine, wow, if if only this was possible. They long for it to be true so that they could sing about it. It's why Disney have created their own version of Beauty and the Beast. It's a story that no matter how much you may have enslaved yourself, disfigured yourself through experiences of encountering damaged hearts or your own damaged hearts, sin-affected hearts, yours or others that destroy human flourishing, that make us feel ugly, that there is an unconditional love so powerful that it redeems us and makes us whole again, sees us at our worst and loves us to the utmost. Or sleeping beauty. Death does not have the final say. There is a love that can awaken you. There is a love from someone so powerful that it can even rescue you from death. Or one from a Scandinavian social commentator, frozen, perhaps the best of them all, Here the curse of a frozen heart, a dead heart that is going to lead to death, is melted and redeemed by an act of sacrificial love that has no self-gain, no romantic reward. In fact, has loss, loss of reward, loss of romantic love. And so, so powerful is such a selfless act that it reverses the curse and unthaws the heart. The sisters are redeemed through sacrificial love. In losing life, they find it. We see the triumph of community uh, over autonomy, dependence uh, uh, over self-sufficiency, finding purpose in serving others rather than serving yourself. Like frozen ticks all the boxes that our hearts long for. Turns out that the cold does bother us. C.S. Lewis, the author of the Narnian Chronicles, makes this observation that at the birth of Jesus, myth, that is our hopes and our longings, actually became fact. The Christmas story is the place where all stories of our imagination become realized, become historic truth. You see, at Christmas, God broke into the human history, into our experience to be with us, but not just To be with us so he could say, isn't that nice? I see. I understand how you feel. But also to rescue us from what tears us apart, seeing a condition of the heart that enslaves us to self-destruction, keeps us out of right relationships with each other, keeps us out of right relationships with God. Timothy Keller writes of Jesus, writes of Christmas, it's not... One more lovely story pointing to these underlying realities. Jesus is actually the underlying reality to which all other stories point to. Christmas is a season where everything around us, the decorations, the gifts, the carols, the lights, the movie, The Grinch, they proclaim and point at some level. The Christmas story is true. The Christmas story is what we all long for, what we're all writing about. Hoping for a baby boy, his name is Jesus, who is God with us. who would go on to reveal God's care for us and ultimately through his own selfless sacrifice, God's love for us, making a way for our cold hearts to be strangely warmed. That's the message of Christmas, God with us, come to save us from sin. Have you thought of Christmas like that? Have you thought of Christmas as a song that rises above all other songs, as a story that answers all other stories? This Christmas as we enjoy things like hams and and pies, mince pies in particular, and even Tim Allen, maybe not Tim Allen, as we enjoy time off work for a few days, Boxing Day tasks, Melbourne United just ripping the Sydney Kings apart, catching up with family, all the kind of things that we were created to enjoy, I wonder would we consider a song that broke into human history 2,000 years ago and seeks to shape how we live now, our own story, God with us, a story that all other stories point to, a story that all other stories long for, a story of Christmas. It can warm and enlarge cold and indifferent hearts if you let its melody in. A Merry Christmas, freeway. Loving God, how extraordinary is this story of Christmas? As we stop and just think about the idea or the notion that a God who is all-powerful, holy, uh, beyond the mind, that creates and sustains everything, takes it upon himself to come into the mess that we made of his good creation and himself begin the restoration of that. Begin the restoration of our own lives, our own stories with God and with each other. Begin the restoration of culture and community. We thank you that this Christmas that we can stop and pause and with increasing measure, Give glory to you for what you have done. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.